Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com, and tonight I actually want to do a teaching called Lost in the Wilderness. Lost in the Wilderness. Now, why do I want to teach about this? Because I believe that the Lord is even showing me that, you know, the Christian's walk is supposed to go from one place to another, you know, like um, the Christian's life paralyzes the life of the children of Israel. Now, you know that the children of Israel were enslaved. They spent their time in Egypt. They were there for 400 years and they went under, it was actually maybe 430 years, but they were involved in bondage and you know hard bondage and they had to work as slaves and all these things were done to them. And then you had the point where they were freed by Moses. Moses would have been what you would consider a preacher of the wilderness. Notice how he first had to leave the place of his birth, okay? Well, not the place of his birth, but he had to leave Egypt, you know, because he killed an Egyptian. He rebelled against Egypt, you may as well say. He went out into the wilderness for 40 years and he met the Lord. And then after he met the Lord, remember what ended up happening next was he had to, um, you know, come back into Egypt to set people free into the wilderness. And I think for Christians, much of, like I said, what the Israelites did can even be compared to us in many ways. I'll give you an example. Just how they were in bondage in Egypt, Jesus tells us about being set free from the world. So Egypt and the world in many ways are synonymous or they parallel because both of them place a bondage on us that we shouldn't be entangled fully in. You know, we got to be set free in order to serve the Lord. Hey, Sister Tara and hey, Brother Jake. And, you know, one of the things, too, when you look at, let's just say, um, uh, the wilderness, the wilderness is our mind, our will and our emotions. It's the place that we get to in the world when we learn of the truth of Jesus Christ and we want to be set free but we know that there's still some things in the world or in Egypt that we have inside of us that God wants us to be set free so that we can follow him fully. Now, you know that this, um, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, but God takes us into our souls and he just shows us around and he shows us what's in us. He tells us the sins and the things that we commit so that we can repent and draw closer with the Lord, okay? These are things that God does because he's trying to get you and I to the place of serving him, okay? And like the Bible says, whom the son, who is Jesus Christ, is set free, is free indeed. But you see, there's also that place called the promised land that God wants us to get to, and that is to be in the spirit with God. That is to make it into eternal life. That is to get the true riches of Jesus Christ, to be immersed in the spirit 
and have Jesus Christ live in us and work through us. And it is that place that the devil tries to stop you and I from getting to. The devil may not have stopped you from becoming a Christian, okay? He may not have been able to hide the gospel from you and I, but what he is able to do is he's able to, you know, keep us from being a, an effective Christian for the Lord. How does he do this? He gets us into our souls. He gets us into our feelings. He gets us into the cares and the desires of this life. He gets us into the places where we become lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And when you have that sort of thing going on, we can't serve the Lord because instead of our will being in line with what the Lord wants, we end up having two separate wills, which is our will and God's will. Now, you know, the goal is to forsake the world, that's Egypt. And then you cross that Red Sea, which is what you could consider your baptism. And you wallow in the wilderness while God tends to get the Egypt out of you. That is at best religion. You know, when you get in, you learn about the word of God, you fellowship with other people, you find out the things that are real that God wants from reading his word. And then you find out the things that God hates from reading his word and spending time there. And then there comes to the place where we have to cross that Jordan River. That Jordan River is that baptism by fire, is that Holy Ghost spirit-filled baptism where we go into the land where the gifts or the, or you can say the fruit of the spirit or matured in you and I, and then the gifts began to manifest, which symbolizes Christ in you. So most people today, the reason I call this is lost in the wilderness, because most people today don't know what they believe. They don't know, you know what God wants for them. And that's because they're spending a lot of time in the world. They're spending a lot of time in religion. They're spending a lot of time listening to the philosophies and the desires of men, but are they on their faces, on their knees, with their plates turned over, seeking the Lord thy God? There comes a place of maturity in becoming a Christian. The first stage of becoming a Christian is, you know, being baptized or repenting of your sins, knowing that you are wrong and God is right and asking for his gift of salvation. And when that happens, God begins to show you the wickedness of the world and begin to set you free from it piece by piece. Then the next stage of what happens is, you know, God takes you into your soul, like I said, your mind, your will, and your emotion, and he begins to clean you out. Now, remember, when they left Egypt, God did that for them. When they were in the wilderness, God sustained them. He gave them manna. He gave them his wisdom, his knowledge. Okay, he showed them that he would take care of them even in a barren land where there was nothing. Because if God would have been providing for them in Egypt, they would have felt like, well, God's doing some, but you know, Egypt takes care of us too. But you see, when God brings you into a barren land where you can trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, then God can mature you to the place of going in and taking the land, which is what? When you take the land, God had to do that through them. You see, God does things for you and I because he knows that we're weak spiritually, but God's plan for you and I is to live inside of us that we can go in and take the land. 
That's what stopped the children of Israel. He did the first parts one and two for them. He freed them from Egypt. He gave plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He sustained them with manna. But then when it came time to take the land, they didn't understand God wanted to do it through them. God wanted them to participate. God wanted them to trust him and wiping out all of, it, all of their enemies that they could take the land. And that's the walk of a Christian. That's where God wants us to get to. He wants us to escape Egypt or be freed from Egypt like he does with his salvation. And then he takes us through the wilderness of our souls to get things right, that we can understand what God wants and we can mature in Christ. Then he wants to live in you and get a work done through you. But how many of us have opened ourselves up to the saving power of Jesus Christ to say, Lord, it's not my will, let your will be done. I give all things to you. You use me as you see fit. That is the place of maturity we've got to get to so that we can understand that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Everything outside of making it into that promised land is laboring in vain. Everything outside of heading towards that road of the promised land is just religious works. We've got to know the Lord inside out to spend time with him. I don't care how long the journey is. It took them 40 years to wallow in the wilderness to get to the place of serving Christ. But it can take you and I, maybe that length of time, maybe less. But one thing is for sure, we must be on the journey and not allow ourselves to get lost in the wilderness. The wilderness is a dangerous place because the wilderness, you know, takes us into that place of feeling like, well, we're not in Egypt, so everything is fine. There's nothing to worry about. The wilderness is dangerous because it can even cause us to be lazy and not want to seek God to do what God says. That's why the children of Israel did a lot of murmuring and complaining. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, how they did not believe God, how they tempted God 10 times, and how they refused to do what God says. And we're going to find in many of what we're reading and a lot of what we're reading, that's going to contain the things that you and I go through. But we've got to get to the point of trusting God, being set free, and making sure that we make that promised land, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I'm going to pray real quick, and we're going to get right into this lesson. And, and guys, I'm hoping that you pay sincere attention, because this is all about the growth of a Christian. If you and I don't make it into the promised land, you know, then we have not fulfilled the journey that Christ has set before us. Okay, so let's just pray, and we'll get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day not promised to us. And we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Lord, just thanking you for being good, thanking you for being faithful, thanking you, Lord, for being just and not giving us the judgment that our sins deserve. So we just thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. We thank you for how you can continue to work with us as a sheep to his shepherd, as a shepherd to his sheep, as a man takes care of his children, and as a husband is faithful unto his bride, whether she be faithful or not. We just thank you, Lord, for the time that you've given us, that we may grow, that we may learn of you, that we may part ways with the world and all the wickedness thereof, 
that we can truly be a bride before you without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. And Lord, I thank you for the listeners that are out there. Lord, you know there's not a whole lot of us because few people will hear the gospel and do the things that you say. But we pray, Lord, that we be a part of your remnant, that we seek you in all that you want, that we stay on path with you, that we hold your hand, Lord, or you hold ours, that the enemy cannot pluck us away with his temptations. So I pray in Jesus' name tonight that no man's heart be heard, that no flesh be glorified, Lord, but by the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost alone, that you immerse us in your wisdom, that you fill us with your power, that your anointing will break some yokes tonight, that people will seek life and not death. So in Jesus' name, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, all spirits of unrighteousness and spirits of antichrist and spirits of pleasure, fun, and games. I pray in Jesus' name that you sober your people up, that you bind these things, that your people will have hearing hearts to desire the things that you want. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. I pray that you open the mind, the heart, and the ear, that they may receive it for your glory, Lord, and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's get right in. Let's go to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, we're going to begin there and then we will go from there. Psalm 106, and we're going to begin at verse 1. Praise the Lord. This is Psalm 106. Let's look at verse 1. And he says, Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can shew forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. So one thing God wants us to do is to be sober, to follow him, to do the things that he wants. Okay, and it tells us here in verse three. It says, blessed are they that keep judgment and he that doeth righteousness at all times. So God doesn't want us being righteous sometimes. God wants us to become righteous all the time. The reason for that is, is because, you know, when we follow God with a full heart, then we will obey him and do the things that he calls you and I to do. But if we give God part of our hearts or some of our hearts, then that makes us double-minded and double-hearted. So it becomes difficult for us to serve the Lord and do the things that the Lord says. So he says in verse four, remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nations, that I may glory with thine inheritance. So as you can see, what David is focusing on here is the inheritance that we should be a part of. 
as I talked about earlier, unless you and I make it into the promised land or the land of promises or make it into eternal life or get full of Christ where Jesus Christ can work through us and reach other people with the gospel, which signs and miracles following one day, then you and I have not fulfilled our inheritance. What good is it for us to serve the Lord part-time or to do some things that we claim with the Lord for now? But then somewhere along the trail, you and I lose our way. We start forsaking the Lord and partaking in the things of this life, turning back to Egypt. Then your inheritance is no good. So what you and I have to do is be righteous and follow the Lord and all that he tells us. And that's what it means here to be righteous at all times, to be conscious of the things of the Lord. And even when you and I might slip up and not do something right or say the wrong thing, that God allows you and I to have repentance so that we can repent and get right with him, okay? So we can stay on the path and not do things that separates us from the Lord. Look at verse six, he says, we have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. So we're going to examine these things tonight because it just seems like for the children of Israel, God could never do enough. There was always something that the, you know, they were complaining about, they were murmuring about, they didn't trust God with. And we've got to make sure that you and I are not that way, that as we grow with Christ and we spend time with Christ, that we should be drawn closer to him every day, maturing more in him, learning more about him, serving him, spending time with him. Why? So that you and I can grow stronger and do the things that the Lord wants. Look at verse eight. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake that he might make his mighty power to be known. And this is what I wanna tell people too tonight in this teaching. We don't realize how much of this has nothing to do with you and I, that it's really a battle between God and Satan. There's the woman's seed and there's the serpent seed. But you see, when we hearken unto God and do the things that God wants, then what we will end up doing is serving the Lord and doing the things that he says, that gives God the glory, that God can be pleased in all the things that we do. That's what we want. We want to glorify God with our vessels and not be given over to us and what we want. Okay, so that's why, you know, if we're not serving God, we're serving the devil. Now, I know a lot of people don't hear this and don't want to believe this, but this is absolutely true. You and I are like pawns in the game. We're like on a checkerboard. And if we don't allow Jesus to use us and move us in different areas where we can be effective for him to get a victory won and to do the things that God wants, then we're allowing the person on the other end of the table to use you and I, even if we call it our own will. All Adam and Eve did was hearken unto their own will and look at what it brought them. All right, so you know, this is, these are things that we ought to pay attention to. All right, so this is the next one. And it says, um, uh, look at verse nine. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. 
So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. So look at what God does. He parts the Red Sea and he um, gets them into the wilderness. Then he saved them from the hand of them that hated them, their enemies. And then he redeems them from the hand of the enemy. This is what God did to you and I when we were unsaved. God redeemed you and I. We were working for Satan. We just didn't know it. But we were following him. He was using us. He had us in all sorts of sin. He had us living in all sorts of ways of unrighteousness. But how good our God is that he broke the bands of the wicked and set you and I free to serve him. And when that happened on that day, we became the enemy of the devil. And ever since that day, he's been trying to get some of us back. He's been trying to destroy us. He's been trying to tell us lies and trying to keep us from the faith. But this is all a part of the walk of a Christian and God being a great redeemer and redeeming and delivering you and I. Look at verse 11. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words, they sang his praise. So I wanna make some points here concerning verse 11, where it says, the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. In order for them to get into the wilderness and not be attached to Egypt, they needed to be set free. God has to separate you from your enemies in order for you to dwell in the wilderness to the place of trusting God and spending time with God. So you see, it's not good that we keep some things around when God wants us set free from evil, because if not, then we're gonna find ourselves still yoked to the wilderness. All right, but anyway, let me make these points because we got a lot to cover tonight. They believe they, his words, they sang his praise. They soon forget his works. They waited not for his counsel. And this is what the things that the devil does to try and mess with our pleasure centers. The devil tries us to forget the works of the Lord, all the goodness, all the things that he's done for him, you know, that, that he's done for you and I. And then it says, they waited not for his counsel. You see, a lot of us are speedy Gonzalez in this thing. We like to move forward without the Lord. We think we like to get up and do things without his counsel. But you see, we've got to stay in line with the shepherd if you and I are going to stay live sheep. Verse 14. So they forgot the Lord in verse 14 says, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. They envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their savior, which had done great things in Egypt. So the worst thing we can do is have God set us free, provide for us. God is ever faithful, always looking out for his people. And we forget about God and then wonder about the things in Egypt. 
you know, or decide to turn back. Look at verse 22. Wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. And you see, that's what Jesus Christ did. Moses was a type of Jesus Christ. Moses came to set the captives free in the instruction of the Lord. Jesus Christ came 2000 years ago to set you and I free with the instruction of the Lord. Okay, now Jesus is the one that is ever interceding for us, forever trying to tell the father, you know, dad, give them more time. Dad, they're with me. Dad, give them a break. Yeah, we're praying for them. We're trying to make it in. Without the intercession of Jesus, God's wrath would have destroyed this earth. So, you know, Jesus' sacrifice and his intercession is what keeps you and I, you know, in the grace of God to fulfill the will of God. Without Christ, we would all be damned. So the worst thing you and I can do is turn away from the saving purposes of the Lord. We need to never forget Christ. We need to stay sober and serious and recognize how great a sacrifice Jesus Christ did for us. Look at verse 24. It says, yea, even though that Moses interceded for them, yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Now the word Baal Peor, we did a teaching on Baal about a month and a half ago now, but Baal is a fierce enemy of God. The word Baal or the name Baal means Lord, but it's not the Lord of the Bible. It's another Lord. In other words, an antichrist. This is also how Nimrod, you know, was considered in the world. Baal is another word for Nimrod, but Baal Peor means the Lord of the opening. So what these people were worshiping, you guys read this in your spare time in Numbers 25 but they were worshiping the woman's body part, the female vagina. This is what you find in the world today when you got a lot of men that can't serve the Lord because they're giving in to their lust. They're worshiping Baal Peor. When you see women on strip clubs or in strip clubs dancing and you got men down there worshiping them and making it rain and throwing money at them, they're worshiping Baal Peor, the female form. This was a type of worship in the in the groves where they would have naked women's um, carved bodies or images on poles in the groves. And this is what the children of Israel were worshiping, all types of debased filth. This is where even sodomy comes from, where anal, well, where oral sex even comes from. This is worshiping, guys, Baal Peor. This is a very serious sin. And this is where he says that they rather tie themselves to Baal Peor than to serve God. This is what you find with a lot of men today, a lot of women today. They're given over to their own sexual lust and appetites, but they can't hear the living God. This is uh, verse 29. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions 
and the plague break upon them. Then stood up Phineas and executed judgment. And so the plague was stayed. So this is what happens in Numbers 25. The children of Israel, okay, were all congregating with Moses and Moses told them to hearken unto the voice of the Lord. Well, one of the uh, priest's sons brought a Midianite woman, a woman from another tribe, brought her into his tent in the middle of the congregation and began having sex with the woman. So this guy Phineas went and took a javelin and pierced them both through, staked them both to the ground. And that's what it means right here when it says that the plague was stayed. And God counted what Phineas did for righteousness because of the fact that if they would have let that sexual immorality go on in the midst of them, what would have ended up happening is, you know, more people would have been enticed to sin before the Lord and get involved in unrighteousness. But when he javelin, he took that javelin and staked them both through to the ground, believe me, nobody was committing that sin anywhere. So this is where it was done for righteousness. Look at verse 31. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife so that they went ill when Moses, they went ill with Moses for their sakes because they provoked his spirit so that, the, um, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. Now, this is what happened to Moses. Moses was, you know, trying to lead them out, but they got Moses to the place where he became frustrated and he said the wrong thing before the Lord and he didn't obey the Lord. He struck the rock twice and broke the, uh, broke the staff. And, you know, from that point on, God told him, you're not going to go into the land because Moses should have known better. But this is how dangerous the wilderness can become because it's really a trying of your faith. It's a trying of your patience in order to serve God mature and to grow. So it says in verse 34, they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. So you see what they weren't doing? They weren't hearkening unto the Lord as he commanded them, but they were mingling amongst the heathen. The very people God told them stay away from, they mingled and spent time with them and learned of that, that uh, nation's wickedness. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. This is what the devil's trying to get to do. I mean, get to happen with you and I. He's trying to snare us with these idols, these things that we have in our lives. When we love our jobs more than God when we love our families more than God, when we love our education more than God, when we love money more than God, when we love TV more than God, these things become a snare unto us. Okay, look at verse 37. Yea, they sacrifice their sons and their daughters unto devils. Now you guys remember, this is the time of Moloch and Moloch worship. Do you guys remember where it mentions that they had their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire? Well, that's what was going on. What do you see the devil doing to people today? Telling you that it's a woman's right to choose and you can now kill a baby nine months in the womb. Why is that? Because they're sacrificing their sons and their daughters 
unto devils. What is Planned Parenthood? It's nothing more than a temple. It's a temple of blood sacrifice where they sacrifice babies over to Moloch. And then you wonder why the spirit of Satan and the spirit of Antichrist is so strong. Look at verse 38. And shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. And this is what you find in America today. The land is polluted with blood. Uh, guys, if you can put down in the comment box, Sarah says that I'm cutting in and out, which I pray that that's not happening, okay? But if so, if you guys can't hear me, please put it in the search box or, I mean, on the message box so I'll know what to do. But if that isn't happening and it's just Sarah's connection, then, um, you know, let me know. That's good information to know, okay? All right, Sarah says, I'm making the devil mad. I totally agree. Look at verse 39. Thus were they defiled with their own works and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. Now you see God, the Bible will make clear that it repents God that he made man many times in the Bible because God meant for man to glorify him, but a lot of men are tied to wickedness. So anyway, it says in verse 41, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Now, you know, you and I can count several times how the Lord, you know, sets us free from things and we end up going right back to it, like a dog returning to his own vomit, like a pig that wallows in the mire. We've got to walk this path straight and pursue God and not look back and try and win as many souls as we can to Jesus before the Lord burns this whole world up. Look at verse 44, nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry and he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. So when God hears the cries, God loves Israel, just like he loves his church. That when we do wrong, God is like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna go and let the devil treat you a certain way. So then when you get tired of treated like being treated that way, then you'll understand what goodness is. Then you'll understand that there's no man, woman, or beast that's going to love you like I love you. So this is what God does. And then it says, um, he made them also to be pitied of all that, all those that carried them captive. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Praise ye the Lord. That's one of my favorite Psalms because what you see taking place is people are bouncing or, or they're going through 
this walk from Egypt into the wilderness and after that into the promised land. And we're gonna find out tonight what are some of those things that attempt to hold you and I back from the truth. And we can't afford to let those things happen. We've got to stay with God and do the things that God says. So there were 10 times, okay, 10 times that the children of Israel tempted God on their journey from one place unto another. Okay, and we're gonna examine tonight those 10 things that they did that caused them not to make it to the make it into the land. And you're gonna find out that much of them have to do with the Ten Commandments. A lot of them have to do with the things that you and I struggle with today. So God is looking for us to know what these things are. These things are our admonition, they're our warnings, so that you and I won't fall victim to the things that they did. And you and I will hold on to that inheritance that the Lord has given us. So let's get started with the first temptation. Let's go to Exodus 14 and let's begin at verse one. Exodus chapter 14 and verse one. I think I said hi to my sister Tara and my brother Jake. I might've, but my mind was on so many other things I may not have. So uh, this is Exodus 14, and let's begin at verse one. It says, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before uh, Pehiharoth between Midgol and the sea over against Beelzephon before, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. So the Lord tells the children of Israel, instead of going across the land that night, God told them to encamp by the sea because Pharaoh himself is going to think that, all right, I've trapped the children of Israel. Now that they're by the water, there's no way across and there's nothing that they can do. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna crush them by the Red Sea. God wanted Pharaoh to think that. And God did this because he wants the children of Israel to have trust in him against all odds, in spite of what we have to face. God will allow you and I to go through things, many trials in our lives. Why? So that we can see that God has your back, he's got your front, he's got your left and your right, and half the time when you and I are going through trials, really all of the time, God is carrying you on his shoulders, okay? So that you can stand because without Christ, you won't be able to. So anyway, he says in verse four, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and uh, all the chariots of Egypt and captains 
over every one of them. And the Lord hardened, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with an high hand. So the children of Israel went out praising God. They went out feeling blessed, praise ye the Lord. He has finally set us free after 430 years. But the thing here is, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, some people could say, well, Lord, why would you harden Pharaoh's heart? Wasn't it good enough that Pharaoh let them go? But you gotta recognize in this that every time Pharaoh's heart was hardened, it was because Pharaoh had gotten news that God was doing something for the children of Israel. You know, exposure to God determines whether or not we love God or it tells us what's inside of you and I. Like there's some people that you'll preach the gospel to about getting saved and you'll find that those people will say, you know what, this is absolutely the truth. You know, I trust the Lord and I'm gonna change my life. They'll melt like butter because they're exposed to the heat of the Holy Ghost and they're feeling convicted. And then you'll have another group of people, okay, that when they hear the truth or the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've seen the demons manifest, you've seen people become hard of heart and they become like clay. You know, when fire or heat is exposed to clay, clay gets hard. When it's exposed to butter, butter melts. So you see exposure to God made Pharaoh's heart hard because what was in Pharaoh was already there. All Pharaoh needed to do was hear about what God was doing, and that was more than enough for him to be angered and to try and stop the saving purposes of God to take place. This is what we can find in each and every one of us. It's not about Pharaoh's heart being hard because of the Lord. It was exposure to God that made Pharaoh's heart hard. That's why we gotta check ourselves. But anyway, it says uh, in verse nine, but the Egyptians pursued after them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camping by the sea besides Pihiharoth or before Beelzephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us, or thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? So you see, they were only, they went out praising God with a high hand, but as you can see, that praise was more emotionalism and just feelings, okay? They didn't believe God. They didn't trust in God. That's why now that God has brought them to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is upon them, now that trouble looms, now they're upset with the very person, Moses, who's trying to deliver them. They're accusing Moses and God of turning against them and bringing them out to the Red Sea to die by the Red Sea. So as you can see, they have no faith in God. They're now denying that God is trying to save them. This is what happens to a lot of people when you get brought this exposure before the Lord or when God puts you out near the Red Sea. And when trouble starts to come in your life, you see how quickly people turn against God? 
because God is trying to try you to trust in him. You and I are going to be tried in a furnace of affliction that we may know that God is God. And that's so important that you and I get taken through these trials so that we can believe God. So it says um, in verse uh, 12, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Man, what a hawk and spit in the face of God, that God can deliver you and do this. And now you're talking about, didn't we tell you let us alone so that we wouldn't have to die in the wilderness? These people have no faith in God, but you see, when the going gets rough, these people get going. And these are the kinds of people that God can't tolerate in his church. Either you believe God or you don't. Either you're willing to stay with God in times when they are rough and, and when they're bad, they should all be the same to us, whether they're good or bad. Either we're on that road to pursuing Christ, to making it into the promised land, or we're just buying time. And you see, this is what the Bible means in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, uh, 18 through 21, where it talks about some people will endure for a little while, you know, and they, they receive salvation with joy. But then when persecution or tribulation comes, you know, by and by, they become offended. And that's this group right here. We've got to make sure that is not you and I. Look at verse 12, uh, verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew um, to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. So as you can see, God's not worried. God's not intimidated by our trials and the things that you and I go to. God knows what he said he would do and God will fulfill them. It's just whether or not you and I believe what God will do for us. This happens to a lot of people when they first get saved. They start out doing good, serving the Lord, loving the Lord, but then the devil comes at them and begins to attack them. And why does he do this? To try and get them to be afraid and unbelieving so they can turn back to Egypt and be his slave. But if you go through the process of serving God and trusting God, God will deliver you. Look at verse 16. And by the way, that road will get easier because God is with you. But it says in verse 16, but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon 
his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So you see how God is your front and your back. Look at verse 20. And it came, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. So I just want to make a long story short. You guys know the story that the children of Israel walked through on dry land. Pharaoh's forces pursued them. When the children of Israel got to the other side of the river, God closed the river and destroyed the enemies of God. That's what God wants to do for you and I, destroy your enemies, those things that have you bound, those things that keep you from serving God effectively. He wants to submerge them in the water to their destruction that they bother you no more. So that was the first time that they tempted the Lord and the Lord delivered them. Why? Because our God is mighty. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. And he is um, omnipotent, which means he's all powerful, all knowing, and God is everywhere. Praise ye the Lord. Let's go to the second temptation. Let's go to Exodus 15 and let's look at verse 11. Exodus chapter 15 and look at verse 11. Hey, identify me. Amen. How you doing, brother or sister? I'm not sure. But you know, praise the Lord for all that he does. Thank you, Jesus. This is Exodus 15. And let's begin at verse 11. Exodus 15, verse 11. It says, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, a glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? When it says God's there, that's a lowercase g. Okay, so they are not gods, but you know, a lot of people consider them gods. All right, sister, identify me. Now I remember, I won't forget. Okay, so look at verse uh, 12. Thou stretched out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy has led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. Uh, the mighty men of Moab trembling uh, shall, uh, shall take hold upon them all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. So this is one of the promises when God wanted to take them into the land. What God wanted to do, okay, is to eradicate their enemies in the promised land. God wants to take the habitation of the enemy and give it to you for an inheritance. That's the goodness of God. Look at verse 16. Fear and dread shall fall upon them, by the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over. O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased, thou shalt bring them in 
and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 19. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them, but the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then it says, and Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. So they're praising the Lord for the Lord destroying their enemies. And Miriam answered uh, them, sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went uh, three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Uh, therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord and the Lord shewed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Okay, there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. So look at the goodness of God, how God, you know, took the bitter waters and made them sweet. This is the very way that the Lord works with you and I. There's a lot of things in our hearts and in our minds and in our mouths that are bitter and not righteous, that keep us from receiving the blessings of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, God turns things around. But you see, this is also in the place too when you find a lot of people will try and see what they can get from God instead of desiring God. This is the mark of an immature Christian that is not willing to go the whole length from Egypt through the wilderness unto the promised land. They should have been seeking God, but instead they murmured and complained. Why couldn't they just ask the Lord for it? Why did they have to complain and say, oh, well, what are we going to drink now that you and I are here? You know, these people are really asking for it, but this is also not trusting in God, even though God had delivered them, moved their enemies away from them. And this is a time of praise and worship. But as you can see, they can't even praise and worship the Lord because their desire is after self. And you know how many times Jesus said, well, he says in Matthew 6 that our father knows the things that we have need of before we even ask. All we've got to do is connect to Jesus and you'll see the blessings and things take place in your life. Why? Because our God is a good shepherd and will provide for his people. Okay. So anyway, look at verse uh, 26 and said, if thou will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, 
which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. So that's what we've got to get to that place of trusting God. God can do no wrong. Our God cannot lie. Every promise that he ever made in his Bible, he will give you and I. Our God is bound by his word. Let God be true and every man be a liar. But if God told you something is going to be, it will come to pass. But we've got to seek him and all his righteousness and the kingdom of heaven, and all of these things will be added unto us. Praise ye the Lord. So that's the second temptation. They murmured at him with the bitter waters that were in Marah. Let's go to um, Exodus 16. We're gonna look at the third temptation here. Exodus chapter 16. And let's begin in verse one. Guys, let this sink in with us. You know, pay attention to this. I know we got a lot of stuff going on in our lives and things that we want, but we must learn to serve the Lord and, and really get sober and focus on the things that our God wants for us, okay? Because while I'm speaking, I'm sure the devil's going to try and distract. But anyway, this is Exodus 16. Let's look at verse one. And they took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of, um, of the children of Israel uh, murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, would to God, we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Unbelievable. The Lord is continuing to provide for them. He gave them the things that they needed, you know, and now these people are complaining about not having food, and then they're accusing God of killing them in the wilderness, that he brought them out there to die. You see, when fasting, brothers and sisters, this is one of the things that the devil will try and do to you. When you mention fasting to some people, they'll tell you, I got health problems. Oh, there's something wrong. I, I can't fast. But you see, that's the devil in many cases. I mean, some people do have health problems, but that's the devil trying to get you not to forsake the flesh. And that's why when you're fasting, it seems like, man, your hunger pains are, are greater than usual because the devil is trying to get you to murmur and complain and not obey God and to go grab the first cupcake you see. That's how the devil tries to use the people of God. But we've got to get to the place of obedience, okay? And we're going to find out that there was only one who came through the wilderness and did absolutely everything right in the Lord's sight. All right, so anyway, that's the third temptation, guys. And then it says, then said the Lord unto Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. 
So you see, God is going to use this to find out where their obedience is, okay? Because God is going to bless them, but God also blesses you and I according to our obedience. So look at verse five, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day, they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, at even, then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? So this is also something we gotta keep in mind. Sometimes things are gonna be rough, but you know, God hears your murmurings and your complainings. That should really get us to the place of saying, you know something, I gotta start trusting God because if I'm murmuring and complaining and worrying and all those things are sins, then we don't trust God. You see, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's why you and I have got to get to the place of being obedient in thought, being obedient in the heart, being obedient with the mouth, okay? Because we can sin greatly before the Lord in ways such as these. So anyway, look at verse eight. And Moses said, this shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread unto the full for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we, your murmurings? Are they not against us, but against the Lord? So, you know, a lot of people too are ungrateful with, you know, certain ministries and certain growth. A lot of people like to blame their pastor for things. A lot of people, you know, will tell negative things about their teachers and people that are doing things. But, you know, you got to understand that if you don't appreciate what God is doing, not the people, okay, but what God may be doing through the individuals, you're not only dumping on the, the preacher or the pastor or he who's trying to help you grow spiritually because they watch over your souls, but you're complaining against God, you know? So these are, these are areas where we must be careful because when we complain against our brethren and those who are trying to help us grow spiritually, we complain against the Lord. Keep it in mind, all right? Look at verse nine. And Moses spake unto Aaron, saying unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he have heard your murmurings. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, speak unto them saying, at even ye shall eat flesh and in the morning, ye shall be filled with bread and ye shall know that I am the Lord um, of the Lord your God. Look at verse 13. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as a hoar frost, 
uh, on the ground. So it was like a gray frost. This is manna, you know what this is, but the point is here that these people are continuing to murmur against God and look at God, even with all the complaining, God fills the camp with quail and then he gives them manna, that little you know, frozen uh, bread that God gave them for them to eat. Isn't it funny? I even wonder if we got the idea to freeze foods from this. You know, this is pretty interesting stuff concerning the Lord. I don't want to throw my speculation in it, but you know, it's awfully funny. So anyway, look at um, verse 15. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it is manna. Now manna simply means what is it? That's what manna means, okay? So it says, it is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them uh, which are in his tents. Now notice God gave them quail, but God also gave them that little frozen bread or that hoary frost, okay? Because along with what we have to sustain, which may be quail or steak or whatever we have in this life with jobs, we still need the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. That manna, that bread that fell from heaven is supposed to be symbolic for Jesus Christ. He didn't just give them quail. He gave them manna to go with that quail, okay? Because that's the real life. It's not the quail, it's who we know. Jesus said many times he is the bread of life because he wanted them not to go after the meat that perishes, but that meat that takes you and I unto everlasting life as it would take them and sustain them unto the wilderness. Okay, so anyway, he says, um, uh, verse 17, and the children of Israel uh, did so and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet with an omer, uh, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. Now, remember, he says for six days, they are to get this bread, but on the seventh day, not to look for it, okay? They were only supposed to collect that day, but not to look for anything more, all right? So anyway, he says um, in verse 19, and Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning. So they were supposed to take it all not to leave any so that they could be sustained. That's what I meant to say in verse 20. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. So they can't even obey God while he's giving. These people are taking the words of God lightly, but Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. You know, Jesus says that, uh, yeah, um, what does he say? That um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So you see, even the slightest of things here, that, 
that ended up causing them. Okay, so you know, that's the fourth um, temptation that they did not obey the Lord. So anyway, it says, um, let's see, um, look at verse 21. And they gathered it every morning, every man, according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers uh, for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, this is that which the Lord hath said, tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which um, ye will bake today and seethe that ye, that ye will seethe and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. Uh, and they laid it up till the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. And you know, that's how the Lord wants you and I to do. He wants us to consume Christ, to get as much Jesus Christ as we can possibly get. You can't have half of Jesus and half of yourself You've got to give all to Christ so that we won't stink and draw worms. Worms in this case are like a type of demons. If we won't allow God to take us and cleanse us and use us, then what we'll end up doing is allowing some residue of the enemy to destroy the work that God is building in us. Okay, so God wants our enemies away from us. All right, um, I believe. Um, in verse 25, and Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore ye giveth, um, he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So you see, these people didn't even trust God. He said there would be nothing on the seventh day. He gave them two days worth of food so they wouldn't even have to worry about it. And once again, they disobey God and they run out seeking for more than they need. What were the people? Disobedient. What were they also? Greedy, living in excess, trying to get more than what God commands them to have. This is the fifth temptation that they did not believe God, even though he told them, what would be. All right, so let's move on. Let's go to Exodus 17 and let's look at verse one. And we've got to desire what God wants us to, because you see, when you're in the wilderness, in a barren land, and it's just you and the Lord, you look for the Lord to take care of you. A lot of people think that they're in the wilderness and headed towards the promised land, but some people are still in Egypt. How do I know this? because they trust in Egypt. It's all right if we got to work here, but a lot of people have been called to do more in Christ, but they are 
not answering the call because they say, Lord, if I leave what I'm doing in the world, who's going to take care of me? And you see, a lot of people will turn and run back to Egypt. But if God delivered you from Egypt and God is continuing to take care of you, then just know that God is going to take you to a barren land and do the same. This is what Jesus did with the mass of 5,000 and 4,000. When there were seven loaves and two fishes, he took them into the desert. He blessed the bread and broke it. And he fed the mass of 5,000. You know why? Jesus trusted in the father. He didn't trust in the physical carnal world. Jesus was able to say, when the disciples said, we don't have enough food, Jesus says, sit everybody down, sit these people down in rows. And, and you know, if you're going to have that kind of faith where you can tell people in a desert, don't send them away to get food, sit the people down. This is before Jesus performed the miracle and thanked the Father and break it and blessed it. But Jesus's trust was totally in the Father that though there were 5,000 people there and he had five loaves and two fishes, he knew that the Father was going to show up. And why did God allow that to happen? So that they can trust the Lord, whether they're in the city, in Egypt, or in the wilderness. To God, it makes no difference. Our God sustains and he provides because he is the bread of life. So this is Exodus 17, and we're going to look at verse one. And it says, and all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Here we go again. And then it says, wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? So God had already taken care of them. Moses had already talked to these guys numerous times. And instead of asking the Lord for what they need, they once again are murmuring and complaining and chide against Moses. And you know what uh, chide means? This is H7378. It means to strive, contend, to strive physically or with words, to conduct a case of suit, like to accuse, and to make complaint, to quarrel, to contend against. So they contended, argued, quarreled, and fought against Moses, the very person trying to deliver them. And Moses is asking them, why are you guys tempting the Lord, tempting the Lord? Why are you doing this? You know what this is going to bring you. We've already been down this road. But you see, these people's hearts were set on not trusting the Lord. So it says in verse three, and the people thirsted there for water and the people murmured against Moses and said, wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? You know, it's no wonder that they were called the children of Israel because they truly acted like children. You know, this is exactly how babies act when they don't get to the place of maturing and trusting in God or trusting in their parents. They murmur and complain. I remember my mom used to tell us when we were young, you know, my sisters and I, we were in our teens actually and headed for our 20s. 
when we moved out. But one of the funny things was is that, you know, we used to complain about how things were not right in the house and we need this and that. And there was, you know, bickering and arguing and all these things. And my mom used to say, you know what? If you feel that way, it's time for you to get your own place. <laughs> you know, my mom would say things like, you know, yeah, there's too many grown people living in this house. If you're such a grown up, why don't you get your own place or your own apartment? But this is exactly how children act when you're not mature enough to serve the Lord and do what he says. And you know what? When you're not mature, you don't trust God. You accuse God. You're always complaining, always worrying about self instead of thinking of him. Look at verse four. And Moses cried unto the Lord saying, what shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now we know that that rock is Jesus Christ. Okay. We know that that rock um, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, guys, read this in your spare time, because this is part one of a series that we're going to do concerning this. All right. But anyways, um, um, I believe I'm in verse seven. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So they even denied whether or not God's presence was with them. So that's denial of the Lord, you know, and that would be the sixth of the temptations. Man, this is pretty interesting stuff. Let's go to Exodus 32 and let's look for the seventh of the temptations. Exodus 32. Exodus 32 and let's begin at verse one. Praise ye the Lord. So it says, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount of, of the mount, the, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, uh, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. You know, so, you know, they're murmuring again. They don't trust Moses, okay, because... He hasn't been around. Moses is up in the mount trying to get these guys the Ten Commandments so they can follow God's law. And they're saying, well, we don't see Moses around, out of sight, out of mind. This is how a lot of people behave in the world. They go to church, they get holier than thou before the pastor or in Bible study or wherever. And then when nobody's around and they're in the world, they'll say, well, there's no Christians around. There's nobody to hold me accountable. So now I'm going to act like the world. These are things we ought to pay attention to. Look at verse two. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives 
of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned uh, it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. So this is what you find. Aaron, who was supposed to be Moses' man, the prophet of Moses, he's now, because he can't stand up to the scrutiny of all these people, he chose to want to make them an idol and then call it a sacrifice unto the Lord just to quiet the people. And you see, when they thought that they had a God before them, they rose up to eat and drink and rose up to play. So they weren't concerned about the Lord. Look at verse seven. And the Lord said unto Moses, go get thee down for thy people, which are broadest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. Uh, they have made them a molten calf and have worshiped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. We got to ask ourselves something here. How many of us are placing golden calves in our lives that are before God? We did a teaching about three months ago called the golden calf. Guys, look it up on Sound the Trumpet Ministries. And it was a pretty good teaching because what we talked about at that point were idols. You know, when God, when you think God is away, what is it that you play with? Is it fornication? Is it adultery? Is it idolatry? You know, do you do you um, get involved in things and indulge in things of unrighteousness before the Lord? Do you think that there are some things that are as important or can take the place of God in your life, like your wife or husband or your children or even your job or money or your education? You know, are these the golden calves that you have put in your life that you mean to replace the Lord? These are things that we bet to pay attention to, all right? So anyway, it says, um, look at verse nine. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. So the Lord was ready to get rid of them and just say, Moses, I'm going to make a great nation. Forget these people because they're stiff necked. They're hard headed. They won't obey me no matter how many times I intercede for them. No matter how many times I give them grace, they use their grace as an occasion to the flesh and not that grace necessary for serving the living God. Look at verse 10. Now, there, it could even be a boyfriend, a girlfriend that a lot of people can't part from when it comes to serving God. Look at verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, 
and that I may consume them and I will make thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief? Did, they, uh, did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. So Moses is a bold individual. Moses loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Moses loved the children of Israel, even though they wanted to stone him, even though they murmured and complained against him, even though they're probably responsible for Moses's gray hair, okay? Moses still loved the children of Israel. He had the same heart that the Lord had, all right? But Moses doesn't see what they're doing down there. So it's easy for Moses to say this to the Lord. But how bold was he to stand before the Lord and ask the Lord to repent? Look at verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest, by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now, the Lord knew what was going on, but the Lord you know, when it says he repent, it means he changed his mind. It doesn't mean that God has sinned. Our God doesn't sin. But what God wanted Moses to do was intercede for them, okay? So not only were the children of Israel being tested, so was Moses. Look at verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. And the tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, uh, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not a voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses's anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses is my kind of guy. If you're against the Lord, you're against me. You wanna um, put up something like this, you are gonna drink bitter waters for what you have done. Praise the Lord. And Moses asked later on in this chapter, cause we don't have time to get into it. But Moses asked at that point, okay, enough is enough who's on the Lord's side and who's against the Lord. And that that day, I think 23,000 fell into the earth or they, they died.
because you know God wanted to know who was on his side. So you see Moses's heart was very much like the Lord. Moses just didn't see what the Lord was going through. But that's why the Lord repented to do what he said he would do because the Lord knew that Moses was going to follow after him. Moses was a faithful servant. And we've got to ask ourselves, could we actually stand up against this type of scrutiny or having the groups of people against you? Being the minority, could you stand for the Lord? But you see, Moses did against all odds and Moses was a good man. Okay, Moses trusted in the Lord. So that was the seventh temptation. They tried to replace our God with another. Uh, and matter of fact, I mean, it wasn't even a God. It was an image that couldn't even speak. The thing can't even eat, can't even talk. After they built it, they're staring at this thing and this thing is staring back at them doing absolutely nothing. But you see, this is equivalent to what we put before the Lord that has no power. These idols that we have in our lives have to be removed because if not, we're gonna actually trade in our salvation and our inheritance and our heritage for dumb idols. And so that's the seventh temptation, guys. Let's go to the eighth and the ninth. That We're gonna find that in Numbers 11. And let's look at verse one. Now you see why I named this lost in the wilderness, because you see a lot of these things tie you and I down, but we've got to, you know, pray to the Lord that we be set free from this. We've got to desire him and forsake a lot to walk with God. This is Numbers 11. Let's look at verse one. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. So as you can see, they tempted the Lord again, not being pleased with the things that the Lord does. They never learned their lesson. They continued to complain. And what did the Lord do? consumed them in the camp with fire. So Moses prayed once again and the fire was quenched. That's the eighth temptation. And he called the name of the place Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? So they don't even believe in God's provision. This is where the eighth and the ninth temptation, after the fire had already showed up and consumed some, now they're still begging for flesh to eat and complaining and lusting. They should have realized at this point, you know what? If I've got God, I've got everything. If you and I have Jesus Christ, we have everything. Because there's gonna come a time that if we don't believe this, you won't be able to buy or sell unless you receive the mark of the beast. That's why we better get the Egypt out of us. And we better understand that it's God who sustains you and I and no one else. So anyway, look at verse five. Listen to these people talk. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. 
the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. So they weren't even pleased in the things that God wanted them to have. They're remembering the menu that was in Egypt. This is what these people are following after and desiring. They thought it was better to remember what's in Egypt instead of remembering the manna, that bread of life and God's grace to continue to provide for them in the wilderness. This is a sad story, guys. So they even said their soul is dried up because they can't eat like they did in Egypt. So they didn't even understand that God was sustaining them. Their soul, their God was their belly and their glory was in their shame because what are they minding? Earthly things. Read uh, Philippians chapter three in your spare time. You'll see why I said that. So anyway, he says in verse seven, and the manna was as coriander seed and the color of thereof as the color of uh, delium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills or beat, uh, beat it in a mortar and baked it in the pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. And Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses was also displeased. So even though the manna came like God did, that's what you would call that daily bread. Now, is it speaking of bread specifically? No, it's God's word. It's God's direction. It's God's guidance. That's what they should be paying attention to, their daily bread. Their daily bread is Jesus Christ. So it says, and Moses said unto the Lord, wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have thou, have thou not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I gotten them that they that thou uh, shouldest say unto me, carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father bearing a suckling child uh, unto the land which thou swearest unto the fathers, unto their fathers. So Moses is recognizing, man, this job has become hard. Lord, why did you give me these people? I thought I was gonna be walking them into the land. I didn't know I was going to be giving them a pacifier, breastfeeding them and changing their stinking diapers all the way through this journey because these people refuse to grow up and believe in God. Verse 13 says, when should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me saying, give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of the hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. So Moses is feeling like a failure. This is beginning to weigh on him because of their murmuring and complaining. All right, so, you know, this is the eighth and the ninth, okay, temptation that they are giving the Lord. We got one more to go to, but let's read this story. And the Lord said unto Moses, 
gather unto me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear not uh, thyself alone. So Moses asked for help. God says, okay, give me 70 elders. I'm gonna give them the same spirit that I gave you so that they can help you govern the people. And say unto the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well within us, or well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. So they accused the Lord. They went against the Lord. You know, God is saying, okay, Moses said, all right, the Lord's going to give you what you want. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither 10 days, nor 20 days, but even a whole month until it come out of your nostrils and it be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord, which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, why came we forth out of Egypt? And Moses said, uh, the people um, among whom I am are 600,000 footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Uh, shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? So Moses is saying, how am I going to feed all these people? How is this gonna work out that I have all these people before me? So Moses is in his moment of doubt right now, but Moses is telling the people, God's gonna give you what you want until it's coming out of your nostrils until you get sick of begging for things like this. God has to do that to you and I. How many jobs do we have to lose before we can trust in the Lord? How many hearts, ladies? How many times you've gotta have your heart broken? All right, because of men, before you recognize nobody's going to love you like the Lord. How many women are going to break the hearts of men? Okay, or how many men have to go through the hands of women before you recognize, you know what? That's not the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. That's what we've got to pay attention to, and we've got to get down. I agree, sister. <laughs> she said, that's a ton of quail. So, anyway, verse 22. Verse 23, and the Lord said unto Moses, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about of the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto them and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it to the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp and the name of the one 
was L dead and the name of the other was me dead. And the spirit rested upon them and they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of the young men answered and said, my Lord, Moses forbid them. And Moses said unto him, envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord will put his spirit upon them? So Moses is saying, oh, Joshua, are you envying for my sake? Do you really believe that these people prophesying and helping me is a problem? Moses is saying, if you love me, let these people work because these children of Israel have brought me up to, you know, when people tell you I've had it up to here, Moses has had it up to here with them. So he's telling Joshua, don't envy for me. This needs to take place because this is more than I can bear. This is verse uh, 30. And Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp, as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. So God made a wind come and gave them all the quail that they could desire. The quail was two cubits high. So you guys think about this. A cubit is the tip of a man's finger to his elbow. So it was two cubits high, I guess, like this. You know, I better stop before people think I'm doing some kind of Masonic ritual. But two of these, it was from the ground up. Okay. And it was as far as they could walk from one way to the other, they were loaded with quail. I believe it was a, a day's journey one way or another. So he gave them more quail than they, they could ever ask for. Verse 32, and the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. He that gathered least gathered 10 homers, and they spread them all abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, or it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. I'm going to tell people, you don't ever want the Lord to give you what you want. You want to get, you want to get what the Lord gives you. Because this is a type of reprobation or end times when the Lord says, for those who are filthy, let them be filthy still. Those who are evil, let them be evil still. Still, The Lord was done with them. And what did he give them? Their portion. But he gave them a portion that they could never enjoy because they couldn't take that stuff with them. So while the meat was yet between their teeth, he struck them dead right there on the spot because of the fact that they did not trust in God. When, when Jesus gave, uh, what's his name? Uh, Judas, that little sop and gave it to him, he gave Judas his portion. If you want this instead of eternal life and following what God wants, then you're just a little cheese eating rat getting your little portion. 
That's what we better start paying attention to. There is nothing worth eternal life. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? And the answer to that is absolutely nothing. Okay? So God gave them what they want, and they were destroyed from that very moment. You know why? Because they were going to be destroyed anyway. It was clear at this point that they didn't want the Lord. You don't want to get God to the place where God figures out, well, God already knows he's going to be saved. But when God gets to the place and says, you know what? They don't want me. I've come to them and they didn't want to, you know, do what I tell you. That They didn't want to do what I told them. You know, I knocked, I sought after them, I called out to them, but they refused to hear me. And these are the things that we better learn to do is trust and wait on the Lord. Let's go to Numbers uh, 13. This is the 10th and final temptation. And then I'm going to take it into a brief place where we can understand that only one can do this thing. Thank you, Jesus. This is uh, Numbers 13. Look at verse 28, guys. Now, you remember this is the time they sent out 12 spies to go into the land, check out the land and what ended up happening. You know, um, they saw a giant in the land. And let's look at what they say. So this is uh, Numbers 13 and, and 28. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell by the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, but they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report in the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. So his people saw the giants, they were afraid. They understood that, man, the land was fruitful. It definitely flowed with milk and honey. I'm not going over there to get it. So this is where a lot of people will stay in the wilderness. They get lost in the wilderness because they don't want to go after or go against their greatest fears, their greatest challenges, the things that you and I can't live without. Those are those giants that are in the land. And unless we can get past those and forsake those and move forward with the Lord and cross that Jordan River, we're not going to make our inheritance. But look at what the problem was in verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, as so we were in their sight. So they first saw themselves as grasshoppers. Okay, and then everyone else was that, that, that way in their sight. Okay, so if you see your enemy, if you see yourself as a grasshopper before your enemy, then the enemy will see you that way. This is one of the problems with the church and why we can't trust God, because we fear man, 
We fear the physical carnal realm. We fear all the things that are not of God. And we think that these issues are bigger than God. If you see your disease as, as a giant before you and you a grasshopper before it, that disease will linger with you. But you've got to trust God for healing, okay? Our God can do anything. The hand of the Lord is not whacked short. When you see yourself as a grasshopper before your addiction out there, whether it's drugs, whether it's porn, whether it's any type of filth that you're dealing with out there, if you see that sin and addiction, whether it's cigarettes and alcohol, if you see that as bigger than God or you're a grasshopper before it, that addiction will see you as the grasshopper. So we better learn and trust in God that our God can do all things. There is nothing too hard for God. Let's look at Numbers 14. This is the 10th temptation. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would God we had died in the wilderness. These guys are sounding like a broken record, a broken recording. All they're doing is accusing God of killing them. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into the land, into this land, to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? What a slap in the face of the Lord. Even after all the Lord did, even after those who murmured and complained were killed, okay, and, and you know he provided for them anyway, they are still saying it is better to return to Egypt. You know what this problem is? And you know what's the problem with the people in churches today that, that feel this way? They need to be born again. They're still hanging on to the old man. They're still hanging on to Adam in the old life. You've got to forsake a life so that Jesus Christ can be that life-giving power in you to work in you. The problem is filthy Adam is still alive. Adam's got to die so that Jesus Christ can live. You can't serve two masters. Look at verse four. And they said one to another, let us make us a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation and the children of Israel and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we have passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. Only rebel not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So as you can see, Moses is telling them, I mean, not Moses, Caleb and Joshua are telling these guys, don't rebel against the Lord. The Lord's going to meet every need. The Lord's going to do everything he says. 
took notes. God is greatest. Amen, sister. So anyway, he says, look at verse eight. If the Lord, uh, actually, uh, verse 10, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will these people provoke me? And how long will I err they? I mean, will it be err? They believe me. For all the signs which I have shown among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might, in thy might uh, from all them, I mean, from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that the Lord, that thou Lord art among this people, that thou Lord art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak saying, because the Lord was not able to bring the people or this people into the land, which he sware unto them. Therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of these people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. So Moses is interceding for these people and saying, Lord, you're better than this. You're bigger than this. But you know what? This is the 10th temptation, and the Lord is fed up and done. Look at verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these 10 times, and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath allowed me, uh, have followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went and his seed shall possess it. So you understand that what it took the children of Israel to do in their whole journey from Egypt unto the promised land is what it would take you and I a lifetime to do when it comes to serving the Lord and doing what the Lord says. But you see, if we don't get it right with Christ and we continue to leave Christ 
and go back to the filth. And we live that way for a lifetime. As the Bible says in Romans chapter one, we can be given over to a reprobate mind that it can get to the point that God no longer wants you because you have not hearkened unto his voice. God loves you and God is merciful, but God also knows that there are some that will not follow him no matter what. And that's why Paul tells you and I not to frustrate the grace of God, not to, you know, um, quench the spirit of God, not to um, do despite to the spirit of grace, but he wants us to follow him. So because Caleb had another spirit in Joshua, they're gonna make it into the land. But as far as these guys are, they are not getting into the land because they would not hearken unto the Lord. So he says, look at verse 25. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley tomorrow, turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have, num which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not uh, come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, except or save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness. God says what he means and he means what he says. We don't want any part of this where God is fed up and done. Our God is long suffering and he loves us. But if you're someone that's claiming to believe in Jesus Christ and love the Lord, and yet you wanna keep running back to what it is that you know, even though God's grace is sufficient for you and I, then we're gonna find ourselves at some point becoming reprobate. Jesus says that when an unclean spirit is going out of a man, that spirit seeks rest and finds none. And then what ends up happening is when that spirit comes back and finds that you're not serving the Lord, he brings seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And the later state of that person is worse than the first. So can you imagine when you keep running back to sin, what, what demons are multiplying against you? Eventually you will have a reprobate mind. So we've got to learn to cling to the Lord and obey him because obedience is better than sacrifice. Now let's go to Matthew four, because we're gonna find out that there was only one that went through the wilderness and served God fully and did everything that God said to do. And because of that, you and I have obtained salvation, but we've got to keep it and continuing to follow him. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. This is Matthew four. Let's look at verse one, Matthew chapter four and one. 
Then was Jesus led up of the spirit. This was after Jesus was baptized. So you can pretty much say Jesus crossed the Red Sea. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And isn't it also funny that Jesus got baptized in the river of Jordan and the Holy Ghost descended on him like a dove and led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? Just a few facts. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward, he hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command these stones that they be made bread. You know, what's interesting. Jesus fasted 40 days. The children of Israel had to spend 40 years in the wilderness. So this is something to think about. That number 40 is a type of rebirth like babies, 40, month, 40 weeks in the womb, okay? When you look at um, even Noah's um, ark, you know, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The, and Moses, to, to get the 10 commandments, was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah fasted for 40 days before he went back out, you know, to ordain priests and to have the presence of the Lord come back on him. 40 is a number of transformation and rebirth, okay? So the devil is in here tempting Jesus. Command these stones that they be made bread. So he's trying to get Jesus to worry about his stomach, just like he used the children of Israel to murmur against God. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of a temple and uh, saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. So the devil said, oh, okay, you someone that believes in what is written. Okay, I'm going to read something to you or quote something to you that is written. The devil quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus here because he says, okay, well, it is also written that if you were to throw yourself down, the angels of God will lift you up. So the devil's trying to get Jesus to be proud, to prove himself to him. Jesus said unto him, it is written again. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So Jesus was not going to perform for Satan. If Jesus had performed for Satan, then Satan would have become Jesus' God, just how the devil was, the God of all those children of Israel that did not make it out of the wilderness. And look at verse 7, verse 8. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and sheweth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou will fall down and worship me. So what does the devil want Jesus to do? Be a part of his system. He was going to attempt to make Jesus Christ antichrist. He wanted Jesus to be his son to represent him in the world. But as you can see, Jesus wanted nothing to do with Egypt, nothing to do with the wilderness. His eyes were focused on the promises of the Father. So Jesus said unto him, um, and Jesus said unto him, get thee hence, Satan, 
for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. So as you can see, that's what the Lord was focused on. Jesus was only worried about the father and serving him. Jesus knew if he had any stake in the world, then he would have been serving the devil. That's something for us to think about because we've got to grow to the place of following Christ until he disconnects us from the cares of this life that he can, that we can serve him. Like I said earlier in this teaching, when it came to the children of Israel leaving Egypt, he did that for them. When they were in the wilderness being sustained, he did that for them. When it came time for them to reach the place of the promised land, it took greater faith, but they couldn't do it because they didn't understand that God wanted to do it through them. God wanted to do the work through the children of Israel to get a work done. So anyway, um, you know, and then it says, then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And it says in the Luke account, Luke chapter four, it says that Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. And that's what I like to hear. That's what the devil's trying to keep you and I away from. That's why we are circling in the wilderness until we recognize that we're ready to cross that Jordan River because we'll know it, because we'll be full of Christ, ready to receive the promises. We've got to serve the living God as he calls us to. Last scripture of the night, guys, let's go to Hebrews 3, and I'm gonna close out from there. Hebrews chapter 3. Okay. Let's go Hebrews chapter three. Let's look at verse seven, Hebrews three and seven. And it says, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now, what time is he speaking of? He's speaking of the time that we read tonight that we talked about in the days of those temptations, he's telling us not to harden our hearts. What was wrong with the children of Israel that didn't make it? They had hard hearts towards the Lord. They refused to hear him. They had their own ideas, their own ways they wanted to serve him, but they never got full of the spirit to claim the land. When your heart is hard, you cannot serve the Lord. When your heart is fleshly, you cannot serve the Lord. When your mind is fleshly, you cannot serve the Lord. Romans 8 says that the carnal mind is enmity. It's the enemy of God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And then it says in the very next verse that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And then it says down in eight, uh, Romans 8 and 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God, okay? So let's look at verse nine. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart 
and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. So to not believe God is evil, okay? It's an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So notice every sin that the children of Israel commit and the sins that we commit, they're not so easy to see. He calls it the deceitfulness of sin because the Bible tells us there are things, there are a lot of ways seem right and harmless to a man, but in the end are the ways of death. So we've got to learn to cling to the Lord and not into our own pleasures. Look at verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So we've got to endure unto the end to be saved. Verse 15 says, while it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, how be it, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but of whom was I was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So you see, guys, we've got to trust in the Lord. We've got to lay it all down. We've got to spend time with Jesus. And we've got to do those things that he's asked us to do because our God is good. He's righteous. He's merciful. And he can do all things. And when we've got God, we are the majority. We are not the minority. If God be for you, then who can stand against you? David told Goliath or told those people, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's what you and I have got to do if we're gonna serve the Lord and be victorious. So I just wanna say to people out there, I love you all. If you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, then you can give your lives to Jesus Christ today while there is still time, okay? Because each day is not promised to us. You repent of your sins. That means turn away from them. And you um, ask the Lord for forgiveness of all the sins you committed. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your trespasses against him, okay? Ask for his free gift of salvation. Be baptized. Ask for the Holy Ghost that the Lord will give you if you get baptized and believe in him and be covered by the shed blood and saving power of Jesus Christ that the Holy Ghost will take away sin from the midst of us, that we can be cleansed washed away. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul says that we are more than conquerors in Christ, but you do not have to live a life of condemnation and shame. 
if you're a gambler, if you're a homosexual, if you're a murderer, if you're a fornicator, if you are an idol, idol, idolater, you know, worship other idols, if you're a liar, if you've done any of these filthy acts, you don't have to stay that way. The Lord Jesus Christ will deliver you from all unrighteousness. Our God is true and he cannot lie. He is bound by his word, but you must give him a try. So I'm gonna pray right now and then we're gonna close out. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the listeners, Lord, that souls might be saved, that people may accept you, that they may believe in you, that they may be strong in you, that they may do all that you command them to, Lord, for you are good and there is no other glory than to serve you. We pray for an anointing on everyone listening, whatever sins they're struggling with, we break and bind those yokes in the name of Jesus that the Holy Ghost will come in and set them free. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I just wanna say to people out there, I love you. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And uh, to my sister identifying me, she says, amen. Uh, thank you, minister. You know, um, sister, the glory is all the Lord, but I'm glad that he blessed you. And I just wanna say to those also who were listening in tonight, you know, um, the Lord loves you. Give your life to him while there's time. Tomorrow night, we've got a, a teaching at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time and it's called the Holy Ghost or the Sabbath and the Holy Ghost. The Sabbath and the Holy Ghost. So if you can tune in, cause we're gonna put to bed so many other lies and heresies that are out there and we're gonna give God the glory as he rightfully deserves. So I just wanna say till next time, I love you all. Have a good night. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.